Ai, nei rā tumi aroha, mihi mea kāru koe mohi o ko Waiahau. Koe aron tō koe ngoa i waki au ki papai oia, um, Palmerston North. Uh, I mārena uh, te ata, ka puta ki waho a māua tama, um, tamariki ko uh, Tākiri, te mātāmua, Hawaiki, te wainga, uh, and te aio, te pōtiki. Um, ai, uh, mihi ana ki o koutou, ko te rautuni tēnei, uh, tō, tō tātou nei whare, and te kau mā rima... Um, Tau, hey, 15 years, 15 years old, I think, something like that. So uh, we are in our teens. So heaps of mood swings, big attitudes, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, okay, I'm going to just read uh, some scripture this morning, first in Te and then in English, and um, then we're going to dive into it. Kapai. Kapai. This is Colossians 1, verses 15. Koia nei te āhua o te atua e kore nei e ki te atu, ko te whānau mātāmua o ngā mea hanga katoa. Nāna hoki ngā mea katoa i hanga, ngā mea i te rangi me ngā mea i te whenua, ngā mea e ki te ana me ngā mea kaore e ki te. Aha ko torona, aha ko kāwanatanga, aha ko rangatiratanga, aha ko mana, nāna a mōna te hanganga o ngā mea katoa. No mua no hoki ia i ngā mea katoa. Nāna no hoki ngā mea katoa i mau ai. Koia no te upoko te tinana, ara o te, o te hāhi, koia te timatanga, ko te whānau mātāmo i roto i te hunga mate, kia waihoa ia hei tuatahi i roto i ngā mea katoa. Ko tā te matua tērā i pai ai, kia noho te hunga o ngā mea katoa ki roto ki aia. Kia maroto ai, Kia, kia maroto aia he hauhanga rongo mō ngā mea katoa ki aia. Kua mau nei i aia te rongo i ngā toto o tōna ripeka. Ai rā maroto i aia, ahakoa he mea no te whenua, ahakoa he mea no te rangi. Me koutou hoki he tangata ke i mua, he hoariri te hiningaro i ngā mahi kino. Nā, kua meinga nei i a, a kia hōhia tā koutou rongo. I runga i te tinana o tōna kiko-kiko, he meana te mate mō koutou anō kia tāpai atu ki tōna aro-aro. He hunga tapu, kaore nei he koha, kaore he he, ki te pūmau koutou, ki te whakapono o ūtonu, mau tonu, tētai, tētai a te whakaneke atu i te tūmanako, ki tā te rongo pai i rongo, I rongo ai koutou. Ko kaufauti atu nei ki ngā mea hanga katoa i raro i te, I te rangi, mō reira nei a hau, a paura i meinga ai hei minita. Tēnei a hau te hari nei ki oku mamai mō koutou, ka kapi hoki oku, i oku kiko kiko ngā mate o te kuraiti kaore anō i, I rite noa, hei mea mō tōna tīnana, ara mō te hāhi. Mō reira nei a hau i meinga ai hei minita, rite tonu ki tā te atua tikanga ki a koutou i homai nei ki a hau. Kia whakapaua te kaufau o te kupu a, a te atua, o te mea ngaro i huna i era wānoa atu i era whakatupuranga a kua whakakitea nai nei ki tāna hunga tapu. He mea, tanga, he mea tanga nā te atua, kia whakaaturia ki a rātou te taonga nui o te kororia o tēnei mea ngaro ki roto ki ngā tauiwi, Ara te kraiti i roto i a koutou e tūmanako atu ai ki te kororia. E kaufautia nei a mātou me te whakatūpatoa i ngā tangata katoa, me te whakāko i ngā tangata katoa i runga i ngā whakaro mōhi o katoa, kia, ta, kia tāpai atu 
Ai e mātou ngā tangata katoa he mea tino tika i roto i a kraiti i hu. Ko tāku tēnei e ua nei, e tohe nei i runga i tāna mahi ngā e kaha nei te, mahe, te mahi i roto i a hau. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Kapai. So, we're obviously going to be talking about Te Tiriti o Waitangi today, and I've hummed and hard every year, what's the best way to have a conversation around this? Do we lay out all the facts and all the history? And to be honest, there's people in this room that could probably do that better than I even. And uh, today, I'm going to try and share a couple of historical things, and then I want to present what I think is the invitation that the scripture leads us to, making peace through the blood. And what does that mean for a tetiriti-centric Aotearoa? What does that mean for a tetiriti-centric church? And I said to the guys before, it's, it feels prophetic to me that today, probably um, throughout New Zealand, the church is more empty than it is in any other point because people are going on holidays and other things like that. And no guilt, no, no, no shame intended on that. However, it, is, it does feel prophetic that the very day or the very moments in time that we're kind of celebrating the covenants and what, our, what we have brought together in and what the foundation of this nation is, there seems to be a larger absence. And we are believing in a future whereby the opposite is true, where our founding covenants and our founding documents, our founding relationship is held with incredible significance, not something too hard to understand or push to the side. So I'm going to just tell a couple of stories. In, in the 1700s, Toidoa Ikariki was a prophet in Mahia. Has anyone been to Mahia? Yep, cool. My dad used to surf there and get his car tipped over. They were very, very tribal about that. Things have changed these days. Uh, but Toidoa Ikariki, he, he, he was the first one to prophesy before any Pākehā interaction about the coming of Pākehā and the coming of the knowledge of Ihu Kraiti. And uh, he talked about God, and he said, you know, this God, he's a good God, however, the people will remain oppressed. And he was weaving pants out of flax and hats out of flax, and he was getting the muscle shell and scooping out the soil inside of it, uh, scooping out the muscle inside of it, putting soil in it, getting a little piece of uh, wood from the fire that's still smoking, and uh, putting it in the soil and treating it like a steamboat ship. He'd never seen these things, remember. So incredible prophetic accuracy of this is what is to come. Now, those words uh, later on, he's a, this God, he's a good God, however, the people are going to still remain oppressed, seems to be largely a lot of the narrative that we understand in the Aotearoa story. 
Fast forward, 1814, uh, Ruatara and, and Marsden, they form a relationship based on a bunch of different things, depending on what your, what your perspective is. Some would say it was largely just because of um, agricultural desires of Ruatara to, hey, we could use this in Aotearoa, and that's going to be really helpful for us in our produce. And, tr and for others, it was for trade opportunities. And then the others would suggest that there was um, some inkling of a desire to understand the good news of Jesus as well. So Marsden preaches this message, and it's hard to figure out whether it was, would have been understood or any of those types of things, or whether it was, I'm not sure if it was translated or any of those types of things. Some others might know that better than me. But there was a response called Te Puhi, and in it, they talk about this or waitangi. They talk about moving, take moving around, creating space, and in it they prophesy that like I can see the calm or the center of waitangi. So in 1814, this is how many years before 1840, they're seeing prophesying even in that moment that something significant is going to happen out of waitangi, that its uh, central grounding would be a calm even though it's probably been something that's been incredibly contentious. Now, again, sorry, I'm just going to skip so many important details, which um, is hurting my heart right now, but uh, you'll see what I'm, where I'm going. A whole lot later, one of the, the, the significant things that happens is Henry Williams and his brother get blown off course in Pornicky, and they end up in the South Island. They end up in the South Island and basically realized that the New Zealand company has pretty much sold the South Island. And what they do is they hop back on their boat, go back, and they walk from Wellington all the way through to Tauranga, stopping at different hapu and iwi along the way, going, hey, guys, you need to know that this is what's happening. Now, long story short, I'm not even going to go into how the treaty was formed or who were the informing voices or any of those types of things because I'm going somewhere else with this today. But they, the, this treaty was signed on February 6, 1840. Punehike said of it, as we heard last week, it's even as the word of God. And Matona Wera, he said, if your thoughts are as our thoughts towards Christ, let us be one. We believe your intentions to be good. So in other words, we really value the words of Christ. We intend to live them out, live them out significantly. And you guys have brought these words to us. Therefore, what doubt could we have that you're going to be like Jesus and honor them and fulfill them and that we're going to be sweet and this is going to be a good decision. There was this perception that, um, that the crown and all Pākehā were Christians and probably all the Pākehā that came and all the crown probably would have called themselves Christians. Um, there would have just been a significant gap between those who actually embodied Christianity and those that were cultural Christians turning up for a Sunday and uh, applying it nowhere. Now, at the signing, there were only 2,000 Pākehā in Aotearoa and 80,000 Māori. So Māori in that regard didn't need to sign from a, a numerical threat perspective, um, they could have, but they could have never foreseen the wave of immigration, land confiscation, and abuse that was coming their way. In 1877, Chief Justice Sir James Prendergast, the same judge who sanctioned the invasion of Parihaka, declared the Treaty of Waitangi worthless because the signatories had been a civilized nation and a group of savages. That was his perspective. It doesn't really matter 
because really it's, it's almost like it's being signed between real people and Māori. Stella. So let us reflect on some numbers post-treaty. By 1902, 60 years later, after war, disease and sadness, there were 46,000 Māori, so nearly half the population, and uh, there were 770,000 Pākehā at that point. Can you imagine how overwhelming that would have been? Just from like, oh, yeah, we could form this partnership with this little minority group of people. Next minute, sunburn everywhere. <laughs> We've got to have some jokes in there, Fano, for survival. By the early 1910s, nearly three quarters of the North Island had, been, had passed out of Māori ownership. And the South Island, where most land had been acquired by the Crown before 1865, Māori retained less than 1%. And the South Island, oh, sorry, and now Māori own about 5% or less, just less than. So people often go, one of the big things that you hear in the Christian world is like, we just need to move on and be one together. And I want to challenge the idea that reconciliation is getting on better. Being able to have a cup of tea and just, you know what? Let bygones be bygones. I think it's more than that. And I think the biblical invitation is more than that as well. Land loss equals economic depravity. Yeah. So Māori went from incredible wealth to poverty in just mere moments. If we think about Rangadiri, and the story that's happened out there, one of the reasons for those invasions was that the, the crown was going broke. And so they formulated a, a uh, bill which, which went like this. If Māori, if Māori attack the crown, we can take their land. So simple solution, just the crown attacks Māori and then give them no choice but to fight back. Right? So Waikato, even in our story, we have the story of Waikato being an incredibly wealthy, prominent people, and then going instantly in a day they're in king country, where at that point the land wasn't great for kai and all sorts of other things, and they went from that to poverty in a moment. And when they came back, there wasn't land waiting for them. There were systems and policies and places in which if they wanted to survive, they needed to then become a version of themselves that was ethnically impossible. But that's what was being required. So, let's ask a question. Actually, yeah, let's ask a question. What does that mean today? What are the consequences of this today? Māori make up 50.7% of the prison population, despite only representing 14.9% of the population. 28.2% of Māori own a home compared to 56.8% of Pākehā. 39% of Māori children are in families that experience material hardship where they struggle to meet the bare necessities. Māori life expectancy is seven years less than non-Māori. By the 18, 1980s, less than 20% of Māori spoke the language God gave them. That is, we're still, how long is that? It's not a long time. We're talking about just over 100 years, 20% only. Significant. Over the past decade... Tamariki Māori accounted for more than half of all children entering care. 58% of Māori women experienced physical and sexual abuse. In 2016, 42% of people who reported being victim to serious crime were Māori. 61% of children in care are Māori. 71% of admissions to youth justice housing are Māori. 55% of children who suffered emotional abuse are Māori. 
53% of children who suffered neglect are Māori. 46% of children who have suffered physical abuse are Māori. 37% of children who have been sexually abused are Māori, and Māori children are six times more likely to die of abuse of neglect than any others. And I could go on and on, and this, my friends, is where the rule for all doesn't work, does it? We just want a New Zealand for all. No, nothing that's different for anyone. We're all New Zealanders, but and yet we are not, are we? The stats would say that we are not. Now, psychiatrist Krishna Pillai says that this gross overrepresentation is not due to the personal failings of the people involved. For each case, he draws together the biological, psychological, social, and cultural, linking the here and now to all that has gone before. Now, we know this even in the great-grandchildren of Holocaust survivors in Jerusalem, they were more, four times more likely to have spent regular time with a child psychologist than others, right? Trauma lives in the bones. Now, this will be true for Palestinian children, by the way. On the treaty, Sir James Stephen, who was William Wilberforce's nephew, William Wilberforce, who helped to abolish slavery, he was the one, really, that gave instructions to Lord Normanby, who gave instructions to Aotearoa about Tiriti. And he says this, I have already stated that we acknowledge New Zealand as a sovereign and independent state. The Queen, in common with Her Majesty's predecessor, disclaims for herself and her subjects every pretension to seize on the islands of New Zealand or to govern them as a part of the dominions of Great Britain, unless the free, intelligent consent of the natives expressed according to their established usages shall first be obtained. And listen to this. They must not be permitted to enter into any contracts in which they might be the ignorant or unintentional authors of injuries to themselves. Now, we must conclude that everything that has followed Māori since signing, that signing of that kawanata has brought injury. However, this is not a story that I tell. I don't read out these stats to re-victimize the Māori soul. It is a story we tell to remember that despite all that is happening, the devastating effects on health, prosperity, and identity, Māori still rise. And for the most part, still want the relationship. Lord God Almighty, that in itself is a miracle. Still want equal footing in this marriage. Still fight to be heard. And despite everything, like the phoenix, Māori still rise. They still stand. And in this room, people are fighting to get their deal back. Fighting to get their, their tikanga back. Fighting to stand in their place. And that's right. That's good. That's true. Now, some of the early observations, I just want to read this, of Māori. John Savage, who wrote in 1807, he said, The children here appear to be treated with, great de- with a great degree of parental affection. They are robust, lively, and possess, in general, pleasing countenances. It's such a formal way of, in general, they possess pleasing countenances. Uh, Samuel Marsden, the leading missionary who visited New Zealand, he said, I saw no quarreling while I was there. They are kind to their women and children. I never observed either with a mark of violence upon them, nor did I ever see a child struck. Which, by the way, he would have been unhappy about. Just putting it out there. In 1824, Richard Cruz remarked, in the manner of rearing children and the remarkable tenderness and solicitous care bestowed upon them by the parents, no partiality on account of sex was in any instance observed. The infant was no sooner weaned than a considerable part of its care devolves upon the father. It is taught to twine its arms around his neck, and in this posture it remains the whole day asleep or awake. The artist Augustus Earle wrote, They are kind and hospitable to strangers, and are excessively fond of their children. 
On a journey, it is more usual to see the father carrying his infant than the mother, and all the little offices of a nurse are performed by him with the tenderest care and good humor. In 1839, the missionary Richard Taylor observed, one of the finest traits I have noticed in the New Zealanders is that of parental love. The men appear chiefly to nurse their children and are generally to be seen with one on their back covered up under their mats. The little things appear likewise sensible of their father's love, for they seem principally to cling to them. Joel Pollock in 1840 said, It is not uncommon to see young children of tender years sitting next to their parents in the councils, apparently listening with the greatest attention. They ask questions, and the chiefs answer them with an air of respect as if they were, correspond were a corresponding age to themselves. And I do not remember a request of an infant being treated with neglect or a demand from one of them being slighted. One settler said, in my observations, Māori life is filled with fascinating customs and the landscapes are breathtaking. There is a captivating charm in the way Māori communities interact with nature. And of course, we have what people have observed about Peria, which was the, the community that Wurimu Tamihano established out in the Matamata direction, of which people said that it was the most beautiful community they had ever seen. By the way, Wurimu Tamihana decided that they didn't want to implement any Pākehā or English systems in Peria because he decided it, it wasn't working for the Pākehā. I find quite funny. But let me be clear. I read out these old observations not as historic truths, but as a current truth. Okay? I don't read that out to go, oh, yeah, see? Māori, they used to be really kind. I read it out to, go, to say this is the DNA. And it's still there. Obvious for all with eyes to see. And colonization has been so profound and so devastating that for some it has taken their very soul, their dignity, their cultural imagination. It has repositioned them to be versions of themselves that they are so unfamiliar with, but are yet stuck with. You know, just on Friday, I, I, there was a family, a couple that had a, a massive fight out in the, in the car park. And I walk out, and I have this conversation with this, with this beautiful Māori man. And they're just, they're, he's stuck in every way. He's been on ACC, so they don't have enough money coming in. They've been in emergency housing in the hotels. They just got out of that. They moved into the house, and then the owner of that house has issued, with the, issued them letting them know that they have to move out because they want to move back into that house. They've been in the emergency housing for a long time. During their stay in emergency housing, their two young girls, who are four and seven respectively, were sexually abused. And then he goes on to tell me, he goes, bro, I, just, I get angry so fast. I was like... Do I need to call the policeman? He said, don't call the police. My father was a cop, and he raped me until I was 14 years of age. I don't want to hang out with any police officers. I said, okay, bro. So we, I go and get a bunch of food, drive up to his house, and just talk to the family. And I have this conversation with them, and they're, you know, they're calmed down by that point, feeling embarrassed. I said, man, you don't need to feel embarrassed. People do this stuff in their homes all the time. You're just supposed to do it in public. <laughs> and... Um, we have this conversation, and they're really grateful, and, you know, I invite them to, if you, if you ever want to come to church and hang out with more people and get support, then please do. We'd love to connect with you and have a conversation. And, um, and they're really grateful, and I, I might never see them again, and that's kapai. But I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from the feeling of stuckness. Like, it was like, life is so hard, I just don't know how to get out. And my friends, this is... This is the power 
and the long effects of what colonization does. Because one of the big bad boys of colonization is poverty, eh? And poverty is a trap. And we've got people that are, are working in that space all throughout this community, you know, who are with so- social workers and all sorts of things. But poverty is a massive trap. It, it, it's like a depression for dreams, a depression for future hope. And I, I see people in it all the time. And I had this conversation as an 18-year-old in Africa with the owner of Toyota for Africa, South African guy. And he says, you know, my friend, actually, I won't do the accent. That'll be, that'll be terrible. This is terrible. I won't do it because I love South African people and this will be unfair. But, and, um, but this is what he says. He said, if you don't lead the blacks, they will just squander themselves and die. The blacks need leading. And as an 18-year-old, I was like, what the? Now, you were, why, was, why, why was I in a conversation with that guy? Well, because if you didn't know, I was, I'm an international rugby player, and um, he was financing the rugby team. So I went to go and hang out with him. Just had to drop that one in there just as part of my resume. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so we have the conversation with him. And I'm 18, and I'm about ready to, like, full-on headbutt this guy. Um, and, but then I thought, I don't even know how to get out of your property because we drove in through gates and drove for, like, 25 minutes. I don't even know where we are. Uh, so I just told him that he was an idiot. I asked Jesus for forgiveness later. Um, but there is a conversation where what colonization does in my, in my mind is it removes a, a world from a people, replaces it with another world, and which is so unfamiliar with this world, gives them no advantages, no equal footing, and then says, thrive. But we know you can't. So that's all right, because we need people to do all these jobs here, which we don't want to do, so you can do them. Presbyterian minister John Lawson said, try and make Māori into Pākehā like some plant is to strip him of every leaf and bud and leave him gaunt and naked. And today, Māori are stuck with two generalizations, according to Andrew Eduera Verko. If you're Māori, he says, you're either a mealy-mouthed treaty of waitangi, tēnoranga, tiratanga, prune-haired like Moana Jackson, or you're a benefit beer-drinking degenerate. And every time a Māori is locked up in prison, every time a Māori is denied his or her basic rights, every time a Māori assaults someone else, we all, yes, even Pākehā, lose a little bit of mana. And this is because history speaks, doesn't it? So when we end up with statistics like this that are so out, so out of kilt, our conclusion is either this. The systems have worked to um, intentionally destroy and harm the Māori world, or you conclude that Māori are a lesser people, just with incredible brokenness, more so than other people, more so than settlers. But then you would have to contend with history's claims about what they observe in the Māori world and amongst Māori, right? And they don't match up, right? Now, this is one of the things when people often talk about, oh, we, it's not a problem with, with systems, we just need to make better decisions. And yes, of course, all of us have to make decisions with the lives that we've got. But systems, they funnel people into a certain direction. I remember speaking at, at the council for... Um, I, was, I was advocating for them to include a Māori seat 
And one of the counselors responded to my conversation. He said, I feel like by adding a Māori seat, you are removing the right for Māori to achieve things for themselves. And I just thought, what you are asking Māori to do is to be more brilliant than you ever could be to win a seat in Parliament. You're asking them to win over a bunch of people who don't look like them or sound like them, European Pākehā and others who have already got negative stereotypical views of Māori because of generations of media, generations of um, abuse from all sorts of different angles, right? Now, you don't have to agree with me, but you're wrong if you don't. <laughs> For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So what Jesus did for humanity was through the cross. Now Paul goes on later and he says, you know, I'm going to fill up in my body the gaps, the afflictions. of I want to suffer like Christ because his love changed everything. And so if I can suffer like him for the sake of the world, maybe my life also will have a bleeding on effect. What Paul did for the church, he did with a cruciformity. If, for those of you that don't know that word, cruciformity is like living a life according to the cross, laying your life down. See, God's picture of reconciliation is bigger than just getting on. God's picture of reconciliation is justice and mercy. It's so that one day we might read out statistics like that and there would be no disparity, no gap, right? No gap, but we would see equality, measurable in statistics, Measurable in outcomes of health. Measurable. And this is one of the reasons why, as a community, we are charging in this direction. And people go, oh, you're just, you spend too much time thinking about that and looking at that. And go, no, we are invested in the first story. Because otherwise, if the good news isn't good news to Māori, what the hell are we doing? Right? What are we doing? And this is um, strong because it lives in my heart. All the time. And, you know, I've got money in, the, money in the game in this. I'm looking at my kids and going, yeah, look, we're going to do everything we can to give you the kind of life. And I'm not suggesting that somehow my kids are going to, you know, whatever, they're going to struggle because of this A, B, C, D, or E, F, G. But there are a whole lot of things that contribute to the success and failure of people. There are a whole lot of things that contribute to the success and failure of you. And they are beyond your parents. Unless we are willing to take up a radical invitation to love the other over and above our self-interests, like the Bible invites, we will find ourselves easily distracted and discouraged. Someone said to me once, you know, I started learning te reo Māori, and do you know what happened? I was in class, and, and um, one of the teachers was really rude to me, and so I pulled out. I went, okay. You know those conversations where you're like, I just don't even have the energy to fight back. What, what, do, what were you expecting? The red carpet. Welcome, Pakia. Thank you for coming to learn our language. You have changed everything. What are we expecting, right? We want to enter into one another's world for the sake of love, for the sake of Christ. Yeah? I want to spend the rest of my life learning to do meo natikanga and history because my ancestors, in all honesty, didn't give a rip. They arrived, took land, didn't even give a second thought to the partnership the, tr the treaty meant, was meant to provide. 
They took and ironically, despite all their economic benefits, ultimately in heaven's eyes, they lost. And this was important for us to remember that there were no winners in colonization. There were economic winners, right? Privileged winners in that regard, but no winners in the kingdom of God. See, the, the, the beautiful opportunity of Tetiriti was for a, a people from a distant land to come and understand this is what it might mean for me as an as a Irish person from the clan of da-da-da-da to be engaged in Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is how we might engage with, the, with creation to understand how we uh, fish at what times, how we plant at what times. This is how we understand of what it might mean to even understand what it could look like to have uh, tangi or death or, or all of the funeral protocols. And so people missed out on what it meant to be formed by relationship. So it was economic and loss all at the same time. And this is what I believe. I believe that Tetiriti or Waitangi is the Pohiranga Waka, the mooring post from which Aotearoa is in a story that still has the potential to look like justice and smell like mercy. And so when I hear politicians or, or whoever else, for that matter, oh, it doesn't really matter, I don't really matter, there is literally nothing else that's pu- pulling us towards some kind of equality. There is nothing else that's pulling us towards a place where those stats that I just read out could become reconciled. Perhaps the stats in 20 years will read very differently. Perhaps the kingdom of God breaks through and brings freedom for all. Perhaps the church gets serious about prayer and intercession. Perhaps she gives back land and resource. Perhaps she says, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and no matter what, cruciformity, the way of the cross, But what will that require of you and me? Māori mā, Pākehā mā, tangata moana mā, haine mana mā. No matter who you are or where you're from, no speaker can stand at the front like me and tell you now what you should do. But let me tell you that if you let Jesus speak to you about this nation, whatever you will do will be costly. It will cost you in every way. It will cost your finances, your comfort zones, your family routines and more. It'll cost you your prejudices and your offenses. Jesus doesn't ask you, the church, to rescue the world. He asks the church to live like they've been rescued. Yeah? We don't need a whole bunch of people going out and driving off to Melville or Fairfield or wherever else right now and going like, let me, we don't need that right now. We need people to live like they've been rescued. Holding space for people in their lives and their imagination, compassion in their minds. Have it holding space for people to eat around their tables. Holding space. Because rescued people understand that the only reason they have what they have is because of the rescuer. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is Jesus saying? He wasn't saying that poor people are blessed. They've got an awesome life. Blessed is the aqua of the poor in spirit. Why? Because they recognize that the only way they eat is from what they are given. This is the posture the church has been invited into. This is the posture that we have been invited into. Lord, everything I have, I have because of you. There is a loyalty that comes with that. You know, some of the reasons why programs that help people get out of certain situations and certain brokenness, one of the reasons why people stick in them for a long time, even if they're not even good for them after a long time, is because of loyalty. Help me get out of this and therefore... I'll always remember that. 
But Christ is asking for a kind of loyalty. He's like, I'm re- I've rescued you and I will rescue you still. And I'm going to keep rescuing you. But in return, I want you to live for the sake of the other, just like I have loved you for the sake of the other. And the Christ way is looking for the invitation of the cross in all parts of life. Your voice in your workplace, in your school, in your family, look for the cross. Where is it that I might have to interject in that conversation and maybe even be embarrassed because of it? Tipa Mahuta of the Waikato Regional Council said, for 150 years we've been walking around each other and we're still a bit of a mystery. (laughs) Any other marriage in in which the partners continue to remain such a mystery to each other would have failed long ago. But we're still together. Well, sort of. And Archbishop Whakahui Hui Virko said this, like it or not, we're stuck together. (laughs) And this is our journey. And I, I wanted to... I wanted to offer us a vision of what things could become. If people lay down their lives like that of Christ and go for the sake of the other, for the dreams that are bubbling up in one another, I will lay my life down. Then maybe we might see a day where those stats read differently. Yeah? And the kingdom of God come to earth is not the ability for me and Tirangi to, to just be hanging out and be buddies. The kingdom come looks like justice, smells like mercy, reads like equality and all the stats that matter. Yeah? And this is why we've got to pray. Because honestly, it's daunting. We leave the space and go, now what do I do? I don't know. I don't know. I know what I'm doing. But I think there's an invitation for us to go and pray. But Lord, what's your will in this? What have you called me to do? How can I be engaged in this story of reconciliation and redemption? What is it that you are asking me to enter into? It's too far now. We're going we're gonna to pray together. Well done, everyone. You survived that. This morning I stand before the table of communion aware that this is the only table that represents any kind of salvation for this nation. And I come back to Martin Aweta's comments of if they regard the word of God as we do, let us be one, let us be united. And that may be the story is about regarding the words of Christ as they should be again. That maybe if we embodied the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, maybe if we embodied the way of Jesus, we might be a whole lot further along than we could ever imagine. Father, we bless this nation. And I just just want to bless Tangata Finua, Tangata Tiriti. I want to bless this land, God. We have a longing for unity. This story is not about guilt, nor is it about shame. The story is about what is 
Christ's unfinished doing in this land. And I think there is much. Lord, I want to thank you that the Māori mind and the Māori soul is more than just someone that has gone through the fires of colonization and had things taken. That's a part of the story, and yet it is, in one sense, the smallest part of the story. We want to thank you for the dignity of te ao Māori, for the beauty that, that lies within the people, the way of seeing the world and seeing one another. We ask, Holy Spirit, bless this land, bless te ao Māori, bless te ao Māori. Lord Jesus, we bless, we bless the Tangata Tiriti, the people of the Treaty, Pākehā Ma. From the many different nations, we have come. And we ask, Holy Spirit, would you help us to be good partners in this marriage? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that your call to us is not to live in guilt and shame, but to live with the belt of, of truth. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, bless this land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.